Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could like, edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm super excited to welcome a guest who has been on the podcast not once, not twice, not three times, but this will be the fourth time, Gabriel Bergmosa. Did you know that this was your fourth time? Lost I did count? know it was my fourth time, yes. <laughs> um, I did. I, I, have to, I have to confess, though, I did take, have to take a moment before we started recording and be like, okay, wait, hang on. If it does come up, how many times has it been? Because like, <laughs> it, it does feel like between these and between other chats and everything, we've spoken a lot more than four times, which <laughs> to be fair, we have. But it does tend to lead to a little bit of confusion when it comes to the matter of how many times have we spoken on, Ooh, on, on the, the podcast? podcast? That's yeah. it. Well, for those of you who don't know and haven't listened to those episodes, you can. They're episodes 165, 307, 361, and this one. Uh, Gabe is the author of The Hunted, The Inheritance, the YA novel, The True Colour of a Little White Lie. And today we talk about The Consequence, an audiobook, Gabe. This is different. Yeah, so it was, th this was wild. This kind of came totally out of left field for me because I'd never, um, I mean, this is where I confess something that might, sort of surprise Ooh, confessions in the following minute i'm so excited normally it takes us until about like three minutes minute. yeah <laughs> right, to, get to, to get to these but um but look to be honest i'm not a big audiobook listener or even a big Ooh. podcast listener to be honest um which is weird uh, wash your mouth to, out gabe bergmoser okay I think if you if you have a look at my Spotify and you have a look at my top podcasts, Words and Nerds is number one. So, you know, I'm Forgiven. just going to cite that. Um, but, but yeah, look, honestly, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I used to try to get into audiobooks. When I was a kid, my dad used to listen to a lot of audiobooks. Like he would have to travel for work. And um, whenever I was in the car with him, he would listen to a lot of audiobooks. So I kind of did a bit back then, but it wasn't ever something that really caught on for me. And then, you know, I mean, for those who've, I guess, followed my work for a while, I used to be on quite a well-known podcast a few years ago, but I didn't really listen to a whole lot of them. And I wasn't really into 
audiobooks. And then it was at the end of last year when my agent Tara came to me and said, look, you know, Audible are doing these Audible originals. Um, quite a few well-known authors have done them. I mean, uh, Dervil McTiernan's done a couple. Jack Heath's just had yeah. massive success with Kill Your Brother. Yeah. And uh, he's got another one, Benjamin Stevenson. You know, like a lot of people are doing them now. And Tara was basically like, you know, would you be interested? And I was obviously very interested, <laughs> but it was that really interesting question of being like, okay, so this is a story that isn't necessarily going to have a print release because A, because it's an audio original, but B, because it's quite short. You know, I mean, I know that um that Jack, for example, and I think Carolyn Orpington did this as well, have reworked theirs into, into physical books. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the consequence was always designed to just be like a 30,000 word novella. So it kind of sits in this weird place where this medium was kind of the only one for it. So a lot of the, a lot of the, I guess, the writing process or the development process was around, okay, how do I write something that is exclusively designed to fit into this kind of medium, which presented its own sort of big challenges, but exciting discoveries at the same time, I think. Oh, I like that. What were those discoveries? Because I imagine it's different. I spoke to Jack about this as well, that sometimes what he would usually do in print didn't work in Audible. So did that happen to you yeah. as well? Well, so look, honestly, I think ultimately what I arrived at, because because I sort of thought about it from a few different angles and I was like, you know, do I, do I just write it the way I would write a novel? And in some ways, every time I tried to go down that road, I, I kept coming up against the barrier of being like, no, nah, I kind of think there's an opportunity here to like push it in a slightly different direction. Mm. And to be honest, once I got uh, a bit further into plotting and into actually starting to write the thing in earnest, I ended up coming at it more like I would write a play than like I would write a novel. Oh, that's because, interesting. Yeah, yeah, a big chunk of my background is in theatre, obviously, and theatre, particularly independent theatre, when you don't have, you know, cursed child level money, <laughs> is that you're going to be relying a lot on performance and on dialogue, and you want to make your dialogue as entertaining to listen to as possible. So I basically came at this as if I was writing an extended monologue. So I sort of thought straight away, right, wow. I'm going to write it in first person and I'm going to write it in present tense and I'm going to write it in a way where it's almost like you are getting this character's stream of consciousness as mm. he's going through these circumstances. So you have him kind of making these little asides. You have him taking on weird little detours when he ends up in a situation, he'll like pause the action to say, all right, let me explain how this works. And the way I tried to envision it was... Obviously not, you know, not exactly like this, but in a lot of ways as if you were sitting in a pub over a beer with Jack Carlin and he's telling you this story. Oh, and that's so awesome. I, yeah, so I Love kind that. of let it have this like slightly rambly nature to a lot of the, I guess, the digressions or the expositionary moments or whatever that have a lot of like little quips in there and everything. I played with a lot more humor in this than probably is avert. And like, I think both Hunt and the Inheritance do have a very, very dark right, blood, so humor. Sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but because this wasn't a Maggie story, because the character of Jack Carlin, who previously did appear in The Inheritance and now takes a stage in The Consequence, Jack is a very wry, very acerbic, very irreverent character. And so it was really fun to add almost that like Deadpool-esque uh, kind of, you know, somebody who's doing some pretty violent, messed up things, but just sort of is very, very irreverent about it and is more <laughs> more likely to make a joke about it than he is to agonise over it, although he does do a fair bit of agonising in this. Um, and another thing that really uh, informed it in a lot of ways was Aidan Truen's book, The Price You Pay, which I read last year, which is a really kind of unconventional thriller written in that that style of basically 
an underworld sociopath taking you through his life. And I just found that book really funny and really engaging and really fresh. And I sort of thought if I could take some of what that book did and apply it to, I guess, my, my own little universe, but write it in a way that had a distinctly Australian feel to it that also was just, you know, uh, like this is, this is in some ways I saw this as the chance to spend a week in Jack Carlin's head basically. Mm -hmm. And it ended up in a weird way, it ended up really informing the inheritance as well, because at the time I was writing at the end of last year, I was doing all the final edits and rewrites on the inheritance. And there were a few things about Jack who obviously is a supporting character in that, but quite a major one that I hadn't yet cracked in writing that book that I discovered in writing The Consequence and vice versa, the same thing happened with The Inheritance. So I sort of see, even though I think they're both standalone books, in a weird way, I think that their relationship is almost closer than The Hunted and The Inheritance were beforehand. It's interesting, yeah. It's really interesting. I love that. And what did you feel or how did you feel about Jack Carlin, you know, coming alive in a character his own right, because that's pretty cool. You kind of yeah, lifted so, him mean, out of another book and then put him in this. And one. put him in this. Look, I love that kind of thing. So as a as a as a fan of many many things, I, I love a universe. Like I love a shared mm, universe, okay, and I yeah. love the thrill of um, meeting a character in one story and then either seeing them take center stage or seeing them turn up again, in a different story in a different context, and. One of, as I think I've spoken to you about before, and as I think I've spoken about on many, many, many podcasts before, my favorite author is Tana French. And that's basically what she does, where every book is first person, one character's perspective. And then the next book will take a supporting character from that book and make them the main character. And what what you end up getting from that sometimes is that you'll have certain characters who can turn up in one book and be a sidekick and then the next book they're the protagonist and then the next book they're the antagonist mm. and it all depends completely on whose perspective you're looking at yeah. them from but that's life so in, isn't it exactly, you know that's life right? you you are I mean, that to everyone you know you're the main yeah. character in your own life but you're probably someone else's villain you're probably someone yep. else's sidekick yep. like that's pretty cool yeah and and i think that that's and i think you're spot on that's so so true to you know to to, to existence basically and so i just thought it was it would be really cool to I think this character who was kind of this morally ambiguous uh, wild card in the inheritance and be like, what's his story? And, and it was funny because I, I felt like I already had a pretty clear handle on Jack's voice from the inheritance, just from his interactions mm -hmm. with Maggie and from his backstory and everything. But it was really funny because the moment I started writing the inheritance, uh, sorry, the consequence it was, it was almost immediate in how quickly it was just like Jack just took the wheel and was like, wow. all right, let me tell you a story, son. Mm. And he just starts like kind of, and it, it must felt have been very, very natural you. and fluid. It must have yeah, been there yeah. somewhere in your brain because you'd written. And it was just, it was just fun. Like it was just an absolute blast because, you know, like I think in a lot of ways, the Mag because Maggie's a very serious character. You know, she's got this kind of wry, dark, hard-beating sense of humor, but she's quite, um, you know, she's quite weighed down by the things mm -hmm. she's done. And, and Jack is as well in some ways. But it was really fun to kind of move from the inheritance where it's, you know, this this constant, constant agonizing over who am I, what's my past defined me into, what's this, what's my future, what can I be, what am I going to turn into, into somebody who is a bit older and a bit more self-assured and still is grappling with their own doubts about their identity, which do, I think, come to the surface throughout the consequence, but is kind of having a little bit more fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that in and of itself just kind of ended up being, uh, in fact, I think I remember saying at the time 
because normally I think I've said this to you before, but I don't write on weekends. I try to take weekends off, but at the end of last year, I was so snowed under and I was so behind the eight ball, getting the edits done on the inheritance. And the inheritance was a really difficult book to, to, to wrap basically, because there were just like all of these problems that kept coming up. And I really had to just like, you know, roll the boulder up the hill incrementally every single day, mm-hmm. but I need to get the consequence done as well because I was on deadline for that. So I took to writing the consequence on the weekends. Okay, and wow. I've got to say like at that point in the development of both books and the consequence would later on have its turn to be the problem child. But at the time it was like, I was almost looking forward to the consequence every weekend to be like, oh, I can get away from Something the hard work new, and just yeah. have fun, you know? Yeah. And and that I think in a weird way saved the inheritance because it just gave me that little bit of relief in between yep. the really difficult kind of final push sessions. Mm, I love that. Now I wanted to ask you, um, how much did you love Gregory Kane narrating the book? He was the character, right? Yeah. So so this is um this is a, another moment where I kind of I guess I guess I confess like how how far this this weird little universe that I'm I'm building in some ways goes. But last year during the lockdown, when a lot of my friends who were actors and writers were basically out of work, you know, we were all kind of wondering what to do. We didn't know how long this was going to last for. Uh, the theatre company I'm part of, we ended up making a web series, like a lockdown web series. And it was basically a mystery series about a girl who's overseas trying to find out what's happened to her ex-boyfriend who's gone missing. And every episode is her calling a different person from her past. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like, um, when we sort of came up with the idea, uh, I was thinking, oh, look, this would be something where we just like get some actors to do Zoom calls and record the Zoom calls and it'll be that easy. It was not that easy. It ended up being like <laughs> super involved and there were like nine different writers and, you know, the the editor, um, I think I'm allowed to say this now, the guy who edited the series and wrote one of the episodes and co-produced it was simultaneously working on editing Jane Campion's uh, The Power of the Dog, which has oh, just come wow. out. So he was the assistant editor on that. And so, you know, we just had like, it, it became a very, very involved process where like we we're going to the edit suite and he's sitting there with like Jane Campion's film on one monitor and like <laughs> our tiny little lockdown web series on the other one. It was crazy. But during the development of that web series, when I was trying to figure out, you know, what's the answer to this mystery, I was casting around for a surname for my main character. And what I normally do is that I take surnames from my bookshelf. So I was having a look at my bookshelf trying to find this protagonist's surname and the name Carlin jumped out at me. And I was like, oh, what if she's Morgan Carlin? And I was like, oh, no, wait, I've already used Carlin with Jack Carlin. So I went to put it aside. And I was like, wait, hang on. What if she's Jack Carlin's daughter? And so then next thing, Jack ended up becoming a part of the web series and becoming a player in the mystery. Wow. And Gregory Kane, who is an actor who I've known for a very long time, is one of my best friends and one of the best actors I know, was the only person I knew within my circles who I knew could bring Jack Carlin to life. And he'd read early drafts of The Inheritance, so he got the character. He understood the world. He already had a passion for it. And so we cast him as Jack in the web series. He did an incredible job. He turns up in, the series is called The Pact, and he turns up in episode seven and episode 13 and just gives an incredible performance in both of them. It's one of those things where it's like you're just seeing your character come to life, Mm. which is awesome. But when it came to doing the audio original, I mean, it was just kind of like Providence on some level, you know? I was like, well who else could possibly voice yeah. Jack Harlan but Greg it's and so Greg true. had already done yeah mm. you know Greg had already done audiobooks before so Audible were quite happy to go with him and he got the character so I, I put him forward like sort of tentatively you know I didn't want to I didn't want to be that annoying author who's like it must be him or else but <laughs> I was sort of like it was more like me tentative being like hey guys I've got this guy who I think might be really good and luckily they loved him too and he came in and true to his 
brilliant form he just brought jack to mm, life and did. halfway really through chapter one yeah. you're like yeah this is the this is the character is there's yeah. no doubt this is exactly yeah. how the character should sound yeah totally. so i mean yeah look I, th- I think pretty much if jack carlin turns up in any other medium in the future like <laughs> unfortunately i think greg is pretty much tethered to that character for the foreseeable future <laughs> but um i say unfortunately for greg but not fortunately for anyone yeah, watching or listening it. because i think he's just done an amazing job in, in both mediums you know? where can we watch that web series the pact it's all on youtube so awesome. it's um, it's if you just look up the my theater company is called Bitten by Productions. So if you look up the packed Bitten by, it should come up pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's like it's low fi, it's low budget. It was, I mean, I say low budget, I mean no budget. Like literally, <laughs> this was just like a bunch of actors, writers, and directors coming together during lockdown just to make something. Sometimes because, the best stuff yeah. comes out of that because it's, you know, it's all people with a passion coming together to create yeah. something, you know, so sometimes they're the best projects to be part of. And, you know, whatever, however the final project turned out, like I'm still quite proud of the pact, but, you know, I mean, with with all of that said, I I think the thing that I will always remember it for was just the thing that kept me sane during yeah. the 2020 lockdown mm. because it was so that, important. Yeah, yeah, that project that, Every, and, and there was just something really beautiful about the fact that nobody was doing it for any greater purpose. Nobody mm-hmm. was doing it to like, you know, get a million viewers or to make money or whatever. Everybody was just doing it because they wanted to do it. And um, and if like if one person had watched it, I think in the end it would have been worthwhile. Mm-hmm. But on a more selfish note, it ended up being worthwhile because I... I used a lot of the backstory in the past to inform the consequence. So like okay. a lot of, if you've listened to the consequence, a lot of the stuff that Jack refers to with his daughter and her boyfriends and all of that stuff, that's the plot of the pact basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I pretty much luckily had a room of writers helping me come up with the backstory <laughs> for the consequence long before I even knew I was going to write it. So it worked out very, very nicely for me. Um, and then, then there's characters who are in the consequence who started out in the pact and everything. So it all, it all crossed over really well, but it was like, it was just a really, um, awesome accidental inadvertent story development mm, technique that's fantastic and something else that's different i mean you mentioned it before this was thirty thousand words whereas the yeah. inheritance and the hunted what about sixty seventy thousand? something like that yeah yeah and usually crime is around sort of the 80 90 so how did it feel having to bring this story together in half the time that you usually bring it together well the, the reality is that i tend to write quite short you know i've never i don't think i've ever written anything that went over um over like 70,000 words, at least mm-hmm. in first draft form, you know, even, even the hunted, the first draft of the hunted, I think was 40,000 words. And that okay. was what I originally submitted to Tara, my now agent. And it ended up getting bumped up to like nearly 70, I think in the ends. And the inheritance wasn't much longer than that. The inheritance was like 55,000 and now it's sitting around 70 or something. Mm-hmm. So usually I have to have an agent or a publisher come to me and be like, okay, now I see that you've, you know, you've tried to keep it small, but you actually need to have things like character development and description and all of that stuff. So, you know, I, I, I tend to have to be kind of guided through the process of like bulking my books up a bit. And even, even when that's happened, like 70,000 words is not a long book. Like, yeah, no, I've I've been enjoying 70 though. I've I've read a couple of novels that I've been enjoying 70,000. I mean, sometimes you look at a book and, you know, I I enjoy all sorts of books, but sometimes you're just a bit pressed for time and you look at an 80, 90,000 word book and you're like, okay, I'll do that next month because it's going to be a bit hard this month. But Do you ever do that thing, which is what I'm guilty of. I, if I'm looking at a book to read, 
I, I always go on the Kobo website because Kobo tells you the word count. Oh, and yeah, so like okay. page count, I don't think is a very accurate no. indicator of how long a book is because the, you know, you don't know how big yeah. the font's going to be. Whereas if you go onto Kobo and you see what the word count is and being a writer, I have context mm. for that. So if I go on Kobo and I see that a book's like 50 or 70,000 words, I'm immediately just like, oh, sweet. Like yeah. that's going to be easy. I can knock, knock it over, that over in a, a day or commitment. two. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, I'm totally with you. I think that length is really good, but, but honestly, when it came to writing the consequence, it was, it was almost a relief that it didn't have to be longer than 30 thousand words I was like sweet all right I don't have to bulk it up and um and it meant that I didn't really have to worry about including any filler or anything that would really yeah. be in there to try to bulk up the page count because there wasn't a page count you know it just had to be as long as it was and um and given that it was always in my head it was always going to be a novella I don't know that this story would have necessarily sustained a longer um runtime I get I guess is what you'd call it given it's mm-hmm. an audio only medium but yeah I, th- I think 30,000 words was the sweet spot and ended up working quite nicely for me I think mm, no, I just thought it was interesting because you got to sort of bring it all together I guess a bit more quickly yeah yeah but it just ends up meaning that you know you you add less characters and I, yeah. I think there's still quite a few characters in the consequence but you don't um you add less characters, you add less complications, you move through the plot a bit more quickly. And, you know, the other thing is, I think that that's a good length for the audio medium anyway, yeah. particularly given it's exclusively audio, because, you know, you want to um, you want to do everything you can to just try to hold the audience's attention for exactly. as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And given this is like my first incursion to like purely audio uh, in terms of like, in terms of drama, I can't say with any veracity whether I achieved that, but that was like the kind of thing I constantly had in my head of being like, I've got to make sure that it's just like engaging, punchy, mm-hmm. entertaining to the point and that it doesn't linger too long on any one thing because it's not the medium. You yeah. Know? And I'd be interested. I mean, I'm sure Audible have these stats, but I'd be interested to see where and when people listen to audiobooks because just of my own sort of research on my podcast, people listen when they're walking the dog, they listen when they're yeah. cooking, gardening, uh, things like that. So I'm wondering when people get the chance to listen to audiobooks. I imagine in cars they would, but then I imagine yeah. lockdown when we didn't go very many places, when we were listening to audiobooks. I'd be interested in see, seeing when and how people listen to audiobooks because it is easy just to pick up a book and start reading it, but you can't yeah. do that in the car, yeah. obviously, and you can't do that when you're gardening or walking the dog. So I guess that's what I like about all these different mediums, whether it's podcasts or whether it's books or audiobooks, it gives you the choice to pick it up when you can and when you have time to do it. And I mean, you, there is that beautiful thing with audiobooks and podcasts where you can listen to them while you're doing other things, you know, yep. whereas like with a book, it really kind of has to yeah. have your undivided attention. Exactly. But in this case, you know, um, I've heard from a lot of people that they listen to like the consequence, for example, when driving, uh, I, I pitched to people as being like, look, it's four hours long. If you're doing a day trip, like somewhere two mm. hours away, mm. you know, if, if you're you in don't. Melbourne, you're doing a day trip to the country, it's like, cool, you listen to half on the way up, half on the way down, you're sorted. That's your trip time. Mm. But, um, but, but yeah, you know, I, like, I tend to, if I do listen to podcasts, I tend to do it when I'm like doing stuff around the house. Like if I'm, if I'm cleaning or washing dishes or whatever, then yeah. I'll listen to podcasts at those times. You know, also my um my my lingering lockdown habit of jigsaw puzzles. I oh, tend to yes. get a lot of listening done mm-hmm. while I'm doing that. So, yeah, so like cool. I said before, I'm not a massive podcast listener, but when I do, I definitely have things that I do that I'm like, oh, I could really like go yeah. podcast or, or, or something to listen to during this. Yeah. You know? I'm definitely a car person. I travel a bit for work in my actual day job. And so um I'm always, yeah, the long drives, put on a podcast and it yeah. just gets you there so much quicker, I think. It's perfect for it, isn't it? Like public transport's a big one for me actually as mm. well if I, if I am going to 
get it because I try to read on public transport, but you know, I I tend to prefer to like you know if I'm going to read, I want to sit down and be uninterrupted and, and comfortable worry about like, yeah, yeah, having like somebody like getting into a fight across the carriage <laughs> or like, or, you know, the constant announcements or the blaring of the horn or whatever. Mm. I'd rather just like lie on my couch and have yeah. a coffee and read a book, you know? That's, so, the whole, that's part of, for me, and sounds like for you too, that's part of the joy of reading. You sit on the lounge, you got your blanket, you got your tea, you got your chocolate. And it's just this whole experience for me. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Can't do that on a train. Like, you could try. Yeah. I mean, I do read on public transport, but it, it's definitely something where it's like, I'll bring a book with me with the intention of reading. And then I often won't. And that's when I'll put the headphones in because yeah. I'm just like, all right, well, this is, this sort of solves, solves, well, it kills two birds with one stone because on the one hand it's blocking out the outside world. <laughs> and on the other hand, it's keeping me entertained for, for the duration of this trip. Mm, I've got a rule too. I always have a book in my bag because when I didn't used to do this, you'd, you'd have this downtime. You'd be like, oh, what am I going to do with this 15? I could be reading three chapters in this time. Yeah. So I just have a rule. If I don't open it, that's okay. But I know there's always a book in my bag in case I've got, you know, 15, 20, yeah. 30 minutes that I could read it. <laughs> It's that classic adage of it's better to have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. I Absolutely. Think. It's like um, snacks, Gabe. So my bag's just full of books and snacks. <laughs> Which I think is like an absolutely necessary safety net to always have there because you never know when either of those things are going to be absolutely required. So you need, right? Books and yeah, snacks. What else do you need, Gabe? I don't know. <laughs> Ticks just, all the boxes. Just, absolutely. Now, does running get easier for you? So you're on your, you know, you've written two crime, one for audio, and then you've got your YA book. Does it get easier? Because I know Jack was speaking to me and he's on his 35th, probably heading towards 40. I've lost count books now. And he said three quarters through, he's always got that huge self-doubt hanging over him saying, I'm a fraud. My talent's gone. I've used up all my talent. I'm hopeless. And then he pushes through to those three quarters and then gets to the end and goes, okay, I'm okay now. So do you have a point where you feel like, no, no, I've got this? Or do you have the same sort of self-doubt at the same point all the time? What is, how does it work for you? got to say i'm just enormously jealous to hear that jack only gets that three quarters into the book because that's pretty much the whole writing process for me like oh look i mean it's different for everything like there's some like like it's weird you know because i've got my um i've got coming out next year i think at this point my my next ya novel which is very very different to true color the white lie we've spoken about it briefly yeah. before but it's kind of more in the psychological thriller sphere and it's a story that i've been working on for like in different forms for 13 years now and it's it looks like it's finally coming to fruition which is really exciting but you know the writing process of that was hugely difficult like it was it was really just like rolling a boulder up a hill um feeling like i was fumbling over everything it didn't feel like it was flowing and i wasn't sure if that was partly because i'd just written that many different versions of the story over the years mm -hmm. that it wasn't feeling as spontaneous as other things but literally all through writing that book i was like i've lost it i have absolutely lost it and then i read over it at the end and i was like i've definitely lost it and <laughs> i kind of but I, I was on deadline so i spent this um this frantic week rewriting about 15,000 words of material from start to finish, basically wow. just like doing major surgery to try to save the book. And I read over it at the end and I was like, fine, I guess it will do. And it was so funny because I sent it then, I sent it to my publisher, I sent it to my agent, I sent it to a few sort of other writers who I know. And several people came back to me and were like, of all the recent things you've done, like The Hunt of the Inheritance, True Colour, they're like, this is far and away the best. Wow. And I sit there and I go, how? 
it's like this was so difficult and so unnatural but for one reason or another, it seems to have struck a chord with those who have read it so wow. far. Which, you know, and this isn't—I mean, well, maybe it's inadvertently me being like sneaky promo for the book that's going to come out next year. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, it's like it just—it just really goes to show that you just don't know because so many of the times I've found that the things that flow really easily, and the things that I'm the most confident about, are the ones that tend to get the more lukewarm responses from people. Wow, that's you know, very like comforting, comforting, Gabe. It's very comforting. Yeah, so if you're struggling through this this piece of work that you're writing, it might it be might a good be because thing. it's good, you know. Might like be a like good the hunting thing. is a prime oh, example. You know, so I, I had no I think I've said this to you before, but you know, I had no I genuinely did not think the hunted would or could do as well as it did. I didn't even think an agent or a publisher would get past the first chapter because I was wow. like, it's too out there. It's too weird. It's too violent. And it wasn't a particularly smooth writing process. You know, like I'd had other things that I'd written that had flowed a lot more spontaneously where I always knew what to write next. And the words were immediately always there. And the hunted was not one of those experiences. And yet that was far and away the most successful. I mean, that was the thing that changed my life. So yeah, look, I don't know. I, I guess what the, the answer to the question of like, does writing get easier? It's like some things are easier, some things are not easier, but I have developed a certain degree of skepticism towards anything that feels really easy. I love I think this. Is, um, is where Isn't I'm at now. True. Because, yeah. Anything in your life, whether it be work or personal or creative, anything that's been hard is the most rewarding, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And I, I, it's funny how um, I had this conversation about um, with, with a friend the other day, just about like some some like some you know minor work issue that we were both dealing with in different different circumstances. And um, I gave him all of this advice, and he just goes, he's like, yeah, he goes, funny that because that's the advice you should be giving yourself. And I was like, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, you're right because we always like we we always with, with all these difficult problems it's like i feel like whatever it is whether it's work or it's person whatever we always know the answer it's just a matter of like whether we can whether we can relearn how to apply it to mm -hmm. ourselves and i think that comes back to what you're saying about like nothing in life ever comes not, nothing worth having in life comes easy we all know that we all parrot that adage ad nauseum and yet when it comes to circumstances like this when we should know it and we should be across it and we should be aware of it we always make the mistake of being like, oh, this is really easy. This is awesome. This is going to flow really well. And then, you know, next thing, somebody comes back and goes, no, that's crap. Mm. So, you know, I, it's just, it's, I, I just always come back to the William Goldman quote of just nobody knows anything, you know, like I don't. Um, <laughs> Very comforting, Gabe. I like it yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like to think I've become a better writer of the last few years, but ultimately who knows, you know, mm. like who knows? I'm just, I think like, like every other writer would have tested this. You're just trying to somehow pull off the same magic trick that you had no idea how you pulled off the first time again and again and again and stumbling in the dark and hoping you eventually happen on something that works. Well, that's very comforting. And I'm sure to any other writers out there who are struggling with their manuscript, uh, don't put it away. Keep struggling because it could be the best work yet. Just go mm. and submit it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> The struggle is worth it. The struggle is real. Now you are flipping between YA, you got a second YA book coming out next year, and then you've got, you know, your thrillers and your psychological thrillers that you're doing as well. But this this YA seems a little bit darker as well. So is that is it is it a balance? Is it a breathing space from your adult to your YA? Or is it just kind of it's all the same gay but in different forms? Oh, it's it's different. It's um 
it probably sits closer to, and this is this is not the right comparison. It's just the one that's coming to my head. It probably sits closer to something like Thirteen Reasons Why than mm-hmm. than like you know the Huntsville Inheritance, for example, yeah. or or True Color, which obviously was a lot gentler and kinder. Um, it's yeah. Look, it's yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what I can say about it at this point, but it's. You just talk about the feeling I can, I can rather the, than I can the... Give you the premise. I can give you the premise of it. And um, and that should sort of indicate a bit about where it's going. So basically, it's about this 17-year-old kid and everything, he has everything going for him. He's good looking, he's charming, he's got a nice girlfriend, he's a scholarship student at a prestigious private school, you know, and and he's a straight A student. Everything is like just laid out ahead of him, and the future is just his to grab. And mm-hmm. the opening scene of the book is that at 17 he gets a publishing deal for his first novel Mm -hmm. and you know he's like the school celebrates him he's the prodigy everyone loves him but he's you know he's absolutely weighed down by terror that he's got no other ideas that he's just like coming back to everything we just spoke about (laughs) had this one thing that he's accidentally stumbled into and has no idea how to repeat it so for the first time in his life he agrees to go to a party that night thrown by his like wild hard partying best mate because he's thinking that might spark some inspiration he goes along he immediately realizes he's out of his depth he decides to leave a bit later in the night but as he's leaving he gets bailed up by the school footy star who's drunk and is like hey man i want to get some more booze do you mind giving me a lift down to the bottle shop i know you haven't been drinking do you reckon you can drive me and Leo's like, ah, oh, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't have my license yet. I'm not really comfortable with this. You know, he's, 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 it's not the kind of thing he'd normally do, but he's worried that the footy star is going to drive himself if Leo doesn't. And what's more, the footy star's got this girl with him who's clearly like passed out drunk. And Leo's a bit like unsure about what's going on there. So basically he says, yep, sure thing. He gets in the car, he drives it and partway to the bottle shop, something runs across the road and he crashes the car. And he gets out, the footy star's like, unconscious in the front seat the girl's passed out in the back he's completely frozen with like terror and shock and everything he hears sirens coming and in this moment of instinctual panic he just runs Mm -hmm. and spends the weekend kind of waiting for the knock on the door from the police it never comes in this absolute panic he returns to school and finds out that the girl was found wandering around outside the car really confused the footy stars in a coma and everyone thinks she was driving. Uh-huh. Wow. So what does he do? Does mm. he come forward and basically ruin his own future and career before it's even started? Mm. Or does he say nothing and let her take the fall for everything that he but did? Then you've got the guy in the coma who could come out of yeah. the coma. When, mm. What happens if he wakes up? So, and then he starts getting notes indicating that somebody knows it was him. Okay. So it's, you know, it's, high stakes it's tension it's uh you know the pressure cooker constantly building and building and yeah, building I love that. also um coming back to the early stuff i was talking about about you know the, the crossovers there are a couple of little cameos from some characters who you're familiar with if um i love if this you've read, uh yeah the inheritance and the consequence in particular it kind of crosses cool. over with both of them so it does fit in the same world and it does kind of i guess it's probably not too early to say that it does sort of play a major part in i guess the scoop that i'm i'm owed you because i always give you a scoop uh the 
the, the kind of biggest story I'm working towards okay. telling. Scoops and confessions. You've heard scoops it here confessions. first. Confession in the first minute, scoop at the last minute. <laughs> yep. I reckon that should be the tagline for pretty much every episode we do together, Danny, is yeah. scoops and confessions every Let's time. Do it. It's going to be the tagline for this one for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Gabe, I love, love speaking to you. And, you know, it's never enough time. And I know when we got together in real life, I think we just could have spoken all day because I just love the way your yeah, brain works. I love the way... You're so passionate about your craft and I could just honestly speak to you all night, but um, I just love your new work. I, I think it's great that you know, you're able to flick through, flip through the audible, audible books and then the actual books and then the YA. So I just love how you're doing all of that. And then the process of you writing The Consequence as a monologue, you know, that now from listening to it, I'm like, yeah, of course you did that. And of course it works because it's an audio book. So I just can't wait to see what you come up with next and can't wait to our next catch up. Yeah, which hopefully won't be too far away. <laughs> so thank you so much, Gabe. I love speaking to you and thank you so much for your time. And I just am always very excited about what comes out of your brain next. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me again, Danny. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.